Well, it's Palm Sunday, guys. I know we don't have palms. We're not doing the palm thing this week or this year, but that's okay. So Palm Sunday is an awesome, awesome time to really celebrate. It's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and it's going to be the start of this holy week that we're going to take place. You know, It's going to take place where Jesus went through all these troubles and these trials and then ultimately died on the cross for our sins and then um, rose again. See, what's awesome about our God compared to other gods, other gods that people serve and follow, they're dead gods. Our God is alive. Our God is still alive, and he's there for us. So that's what's amazing about it. But today is Palm Sunday, and uh, it's, a, it's an interesting time. It's a time for us that we thought really would be good, because between Palm Sunday and Easter, there was something that really important that took place, and that was Last Supper. And then Last Supper, we're going to kind of celebrate that today. Obviously, it was called the Last Supper because it was the Last Supper that all the disciples and Jesus spent time together eating. And that's going to be until Jesus says. He says it's going to be until he comes and he eats it with us again in his Father's kingdom. So someday again, we will all be together and we will share the same supper together. So we call this what, though? Communion. We mostly call it communion in churches, but there's different words that they can use. People call it sometimes the Eucharist. They call it communion. They can call it the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And uh, all that's fine. It's okay. Either one that you want to call it is is perfectly fine. But basically, there's not a whole lot about communion. Even though it's so big, and you notice it happening in a lot of churches, you really don't see it mentioned in the Bible really that much. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's really only mentioned, communion is only mentioned in um, the Gospels, where Jesus talks about it. And then it's mentioned again in 1 Corinthians in 11, where he talks, uh, Paul talks to the Corinthian church, telling them that they're kind of going about this all wrong. This whole idea of communion, the way they're doing it, it's kind of wrong. And uh, I think that we can kind of go about it wrong, too, sometimes. And so that's today why I really wanted to teach on, on what communion really means. And maybe there is some correction that we need to take place in what we do for communion. Um, Basically, like I say, it is the, uh, the Last Supper, and it's a time really for all of us as a, a community of believers that we would come together and that we would really commemorate God. We would really appreciate and thank him for the things that he's done and share in that sacrifice that he made for each one of us is what we're, we're really doing when we come together. That's what it's all about. You know, we had this old covenant. If you've ever gone through and you've read the Old Testament and you haven't, go back and read it because it really is uh, an interesting dynamic of what happens in the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament many times. But what Jesus did when Jesus came and died on the cross for us, he did what was done before. A long time ago in the Old Covenant, you'd have to have a uh, perfect sacrifice, an animal sacrifice that you would take to the priest, and the priest would basically put your sins upon that animal, and then they would sacrifice it, and it would, it would die for your sins. That's what took place. Well, when Jesus came, he says that he came as the perfect sacrifice. He came as the most perfect God, and he became our sacrifice now so that we have this new covenant between God and, um, and us. And whereas once we used to have to go to this priest that would be the only one who would walk into God's presence, we now have Jesus, who when he died, he says 
that um, it is finished, and the temple curtain rips in two. And basically what that signifies is the fact that we can come directly to God ourselves, that we can come and, and, and talk to God. It's not this barrier. It's not this priest that has to do it for us, except that he is our high priest. All we have to do is ask Jesus, and Jesus takes our, our things to God, our needs, our help that we need with. So Jesus tells us, basically all the time, to remember him. And this is exactly what it's all about. A lot of times you'll go to churches and it'll say, on the uh, table of the community, it'll say, do this in remembrance of me. And that's basically what it's about. Just remember. Remember what I've done for you. Remember the time and the sacrifice that I put in your place. That's what it's all about. You would think something so huge. I mean, him dying on the cross, taking all of our sins from past and present and future. How could we forget? But we do. We forget, and we forget so easily. And I don't know, we're human beings, we're such a forgetful bunch. We forget so easily. I mean, look at marriage. I mean, we, we have this great love. You're just like, oh, man, I can't wait to get married. And, and then, you know, you get down the line a couple years, and you're like, who is this guy? And you forget all about, or who is this girl? How great they were. You know, you can forget the good things, and you can kind of focus on the bad. But we as human beings, we forget very easily. We get so wrapped up in this life that we can minimize the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And we can minimize um, the fact of what Jesus did. You know, obviously, we no longer have a life filled just with mediocrity, just blase life, but we have this abundant life now. We have a life that we have assurance. We have salvation. We have a hope for the future. It's not just this small vapor whisper of of a life, but we have an idea and a knowledge that we get to go on to the next life, that we will never experience death. If we truly have a relationship with them, we will not experience death like other people will. It's going to be a life that lasts forever in the presence of God. I mean, that's amazing. That's an amazing thing that Christ did for us, and we have to remember that thing. You know, that we have to remember those things that he did that are so awesome for us. But we tend to forget. I mean, how amazing is it to think that we have a God that was there when the heavens and the earth were created, yet all we have to do is whisper his name, and he's right there beside us to help us. I mean, that's amazing. You know, how can we forget the fact that we're not weighed down by sin, that all the things that we've done, we don't have to walk around holding it and just pulling us down, but we can have this freedom and this lightness that comes from following him and, and accepting his forgiveness. You know, that's what's so amazing about, about Jesus and what he did for us. But we forget. We forget so easily. We think we won't. You know, especially, I don't know what your salvation experience is. I don't know what, where you come from and when you said you believe in Jesus Christ. But if you said it, a lot of times you think, at that time, I could never forget this. But life goes on. And those moments when you were so brokenhearted and you realized that Jesus was the answer, later can kind of be just another option. Well, yeah. But I knew I knew, and I really, you know, I wasn't going to tell you again. My, I wasn't going to say nothing about my salvation experience, but I was like two times it was reminded that I should, you should say. You know, I was going the wrong way. I mean, obviously I had 
sinned. You know, uh, you know, me and my husband, we're young and started to date when I was like 14, you know. And of course, you know what that, how that happens. You know, obviously we weren't pure, we weren't Christians. And of course, you know, I was pregnant when I got married. I mean, we're going to celebrate 30 years this year, so it's been pretty good. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be together. And I know sometimes that might be heartbreaking for him to hear. But I really, truly believe that. You know why? Because I started looking. I started thinking, this can't be it. This can't be it. I was 28 years old. I'm thinking, this can't be all there is to life. You know, to have the husband, the 2.2 kids, the dog. You know, that's not enough for me. I felt like this isn't it. And I thought, there has to be something more. So I started to get this little itch. You know, I wanted to, like, think, what else could there be out there, you know? And thankfully, I didn't have to go too far to figure out that Jesus was the answer. But I will tell you, if it wasn't for Jesus, I don't believe. I don't believe because of how Jesus works. I don't believe that I would still be married. I don't believe I'd have a son who's a pastor. I don't believe that I'd have a daughter who loves Jesus with all her heart. I also don't believe I never would have touched numerous kids' lives doing youth ministry. I don't believe that Acts Church would even be here. And that's how it works. See, salvation is an amazing experience because when it changes us, it has an opportunity to change the world. And that's what's happened. So it's like when you like start to forget, I have to take myself back sometimes and remind myself, no, how amazing was God? How amazing was God that he showed himself to me and said, this is, my, this is your answer. This is what you need. You need to be forgiven. And then when you're forgiven, you can move on and you can walk in victory instead of being so beat down. So you think that you're not going to forget, but you do. You know, if you, can, if you confess God, if you said that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, you alone, you believe it in your heart, you know, we can still forget. And it's sad. It's sad to think that we can forget, but we can. I mean, the disciples did, didn't they? The disciples forgot. So Jesus tells us to remember. And, and, you know, it's interesting because if you look back in the Old Testament, you can see there's a part in Deuteronomy. um, I think it's Deuteronomy 6. I didn't actually get the scripture up. But there's a part in it where he says, write write it on the doorposts. Write it on your hands. Write it everywhere. All that Jesus has has done for you, God has done for you. Because the the thing is what we don't think we're going to forget, but we need to be reminded all the time how awesome of a God we have. So we need to remember. These, these people coming together, the disciples coming together when they celebrated this last supper, they were coming together to remember. That's what he says. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So what it was, it was a reminder. It was a reminder of Passover. That's what it was about. They were celebrating. The last supper was a, basically a commemoration of the last supper, or Passover, which was a remembrance of when the Israelites were escaping from slavery from, in Egypt. You know, and to get away, what they have to do to be, for, to be protected is, it says, God says that he was going to, the angel of death was going to sweep through. He says, so go ahead. He says, take a, a perfect blood sacrifice and put it on your doorposts so that when the angel sweeps through that you'll be protected, you and your family. So that's why they were there. They were there to remember the fact that they were protected. 
and the generations before them were protected. This is what it was about. It was a reminder of leaving a life of slavery and heading to a life of freedom. Same thing that we have today. We lived a life of slavery to sin, but now we have freedom in Christ. You know, these people were remembering walking on dry land through a parted Red Sea. Now, you would think you would not forget that, wouldn't you? How could you forget that, walking on dry land through a wall of sea around you? But they forgot. They started to forget. They were remembering a time when they didn't even have time when they left to bake bread with leaven in it. It's like, man, we just got to make this bread quick because we got to get fed because we're on the, on the road, you know. We got to head out. They're remembering that time of escape. But they forgot. They forgot so easily everything that was done for them. I mean, immediately when they see Pharaoh and the armies coming after them, see him coming as fast as they can, they turn to Moses and they say, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? Why'd you bring us out here? Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? When he was the answer to their freedom. Because we can forget miracles. We can forget changes that happen in our lives personally because of just getting bombarded with the world. So he tells us to remember. Remember everything that he's done for you. Remember your forgiveness. Remember your experience when Christ became real to you. When Christ forgave you, you know, I'm sure you have a time where you can think back and think, my life was so meaningless. And then God spoke, someone spoke to you about God and Jesus and forgiveness, and you're like, wow, I need that. I need that in my life. Deliverance from fear. I lived a life of fear. That's what my life was, was fear over and over and over again. I, I had a sister who was 18 that died in a car accident. And then it wasn't very long later, my mother died when I was seven. And, you know, and then my dad remarried and my stepmother died. And I just grew up with being so fearful, thinking all the time that if I didn't have something planned for the weekend, I was going to die all the time. And this is like when you're eight, nine, ten years old. So fearful to always just, just to live life. You know, and it's, it's sad that you can live like that. And then when I went into having kids, I was so fearful that something would happen to them all the time, rushing to, to feel their breath, if they were breathing when they were babies, and, you know, and checking on them. And if they walked outside and they didn't answer in two seconds, like, where are you? Freaking out, you know. When they started to drive their car when they were 16, just being a, just a oh, sweat, just, oh, my gosh, you know. But there was a time where all of a sudden God just took away that fear. And that's what I remember. I remember those moments where I can't control it. I have no point in this whole thing. God's will is God's will. Take it away, and he did. That's the stuff we need to remember. Gifts God's given you. Those kids, if you have kids, those are gifts. Jobs, if you've been given a good job, you've got a job. It's a gift from God. If you have health, if you're breathing, it is a gift from God that you have that. Those are the things that we need to remember. We exist because we are allowed to exist. We have because we're allowed to have. Everything that God does for us, we should thank him and we should remember. But our simple minds, again, we forget so easily. We forget it so easily all the things he's done for us. So something else that took place, though, in this last supper that they, they uh, came and experienced together. You know, we know that there was the 12 disciples, and they all came together this 
last week of Jesus' life. And, you know, Jesus told him everything that was going to happen. He told me, he says, I'm going to die on the cross. All these things are going to take place. And, you know, even though they were told, he, oh, they didn't really think about what's really going to take place. So he goes and tells them in Matthew 26, 17 through 29. That's a long scripture. I'm going to read some longer scriptures to you today. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, You will see a certain man. Tell him, The teacher says, My time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one in turn said, Am I the one, Lord? And he replied, One of you who has just eaten from the bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he'd never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed. And all the disciples start asking, could it be me? Could it be me who betrays you, God? Could it be me? And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? They all started to ask themselves if it could be them that could betray God. And I wanted to kind of look at, we're going to take a look at the, uh, the Last Supper, which is painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And it's a, a, a painting that specifically portrays the experience and the, and the emotions that the disciples were feeling at that moment when Jesus said, one of you will be, betray me. And you have, um, it's a little cut off in the end where you can't see the one, but at the beginning you have uh, Bartholomew, James, and Andrew. And they kind of, if you look, they kind of seem a little surprised, don't they, by the statement that someone's going to betray them. And then we have Judas in the green and the blue holding his bag of money. He's holding that tight because you know that became his heart, right? Where his treasure is, your heart is, and that's what he's holding tight to. And then you got Peter. Peter's, interestingly enough, is he's holding a knife away from God like this. You can tell he's pretty angry, don't you? Can't you see? He's, he's pretty angry about what's going to take place. And then you have John, who pretty much almost faints. I think it, it looks like he's almost fainting, like he's swooning, like he he's, can't take what was said, said that's going to happen. And then you have Jesus, who to me is just, he's always so assured, isn't he? I mean, he's just, he's the ultimate God. He's just like, someone's going to betray me, and he's like, this is the way it is. Sorry. And then you have the others who are um, Thomas, who says he looks upset. And then um, it says that there is James, the greater, who looks stunned with his arms in the air. And then it says um, Philip, who looks like he wants an explanation. And there's Matthew and then Jude Thaddeus, which is... Uh, he has, kind of goes by two names in the Bible. Then Simon the Zealot are the, formal, the final three of the group. 
But, you know, there's an experience that took place when they were asked that. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we had this idea in our minds that the disciples were so perfect. And if you, you see when you read the Bible, they were so normal. They were so everyday people, like just like we are. You know, they experienced salvation. They experienced this amazing God, seeing him perform miracles, but yet they had to ask themselves, could I be the one? Could I be the one who could betray you, Jesus? You know, I think what's taken place here is really an examination into their hearts at that time. You know, this is just, how could this happen? How could I betray? Could I be the one? You're telling me this. Could I betray you, Jesus? And to betray means actually to be led astray or lead astray in both ways by definition. I mean, obviously, we can see that Judas was what? He was led astray by the lure of money. He wanted money. He was willing to give up his friend and betrayed with a kiss. How horrible is that? By a friend. But there was this idea of look into your heart. Could it be me that could betray you? And that's the, the Gospels actually say those, that's what took place, that these, these disciples asked this. And it's interesting because the second time it's actually uh, communion is actually talked about is like when I said when Paul says in Corinthians that they were doing it wrong. And he goes through and he says something, this is basically the same thing. Where the disciples looked into their hearts and asked, could I betray you? Paul actually says for us to do the same thing. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 32 it says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Kind of interesting when you think about that, isn't it? That people rush in and out of communion in some churches every week, some daily. And the Bible says, don't just take this lightly. Look at who you are and look what you, what you believe before you go accept this. You know, there, there was a time in the past we talked about communion in the old Jewish tradition that basically it was a proposal. That's how a, a young man would propose to a young woman is he would come and he'd set a glass of wine in front of her. And if she would drink it, it would meant that she was betrothed to him, that they would be married. But if she didn't, she pushed it away. He's like, all bets off. She's not mine. It's all over. But once you're betrothed, that was it. You're married. That's, that's what's taking place. So the same thing happens with us when we accept communion. What we do when we say we take this, we're saying, yes, Jesus, we believe in you. We believe that you are our Savior. We believe that you're our hope. We believe that you died on the cross for us, for me personally. And so when we take it, we're saying that we believe, and that means that we are going to be his bride. 
We are going to be his bride in Christ. That someday when he comes back, because that's the whole thing, what's awesome about our God, is he comes back to life and then he promises he's going to come back for each one of us. We're saying that we're going to go with him. We're saying that we believe it. See, the thing is, but what happens is we say we do, but then we commit adultery, don't we? We start fooling around on the side, start playing around with other things, and we don't keep God as the number one. We start to betray him. And then what happens out of that is we're led astray, and then what happens out of that is we start to lead others astray. Because what happens out of that is people are like, well, you're a Christian, right? This is you? And they're like, yeah. But then they see your life, and they're like, well, if you're not really what you say you are, then what power is in it? You know, and I'm not saying perfect. You don't have to be perfect because we're not perfect. And God knows I'm not perfect. You can ask anybody that deals with me on a daily basis. So not perfect. But you know what? I love Jesus and I try to keep him first. And I have to ask forgiveness a lot. But it's an everyday experience. See, I think the problem what happens with people in, in most faith here all different denominations, is we think it's a one-time experience. I've accepted, and I'm good. But, you know, Jesus says that we're supposed to take up a cross daily. That means that daily we're supposed to affirm the fact that we're in love with Jesus. That we're supposed to say, yeah, you're still number one. You're still my priority in my life. That's what you are. So it's a daily thing. It's not just a one-time event. It's a daily walk with God. But we know daily we fail. We so easily fail. And when we fail daily, those daily start to kind of compound, don't they? They start to kind of add up. And before long, there's a month. And then there's six months, nine months, a year. And then before long, you're like, who was that that was even said that they were following Jesus? I'm not even what I said I thought I was going to be at all. Because the world took over. And the world can so easily take over. That's why he says, keep your eyes upon him. And then the rest of the stuff, the world will be dim. It'll be dim compared to him. So the thing is, we have this communion that we're supposed to come and we're supposed to share together. And it should be an experience that we just really feel like, wow, we're forgiven. How awesome is God? But he also says, examine myself. Examine yourself. Could it be me, Lord, that's betraying you? Have I led people astray? Have I not really reflected what you said I was? Am I going the wrong way? You know, communion, obviously. It says when um, what we take place, you know, what are we thinking about it really? What does this actually signify? What does it mean? It actually says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, it says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. That's what it says before Paul starts to correct him. You're not even interested in the Lord's Supper. See, because it's, it's something different. See, when you come in, you could have been like, oh, awesome, we're going to do communion. And it could have been something great, like, okay, that's cool. Or you could have been like, oh, communion. That's kind of boring. You know? could be that. But you have to ask yourself, are you really into it? Do you know what it means? You know, are you really interested in what it signifies? And you have to ask yourself if that could be you. If you're not really thinking about what this means. 
you know, if you come in and you're not that interested, examine yourself why. You know, maybe you've gone grown cold. Maybe you, you at one time believed with passion and you no longer do. You know, maybe the salvation experience was so long ago you can hardly remember anymore. Jesus says, remember. Think back to that time. Think back to those feelings, those emotions, those struggles, that pain. I think we just need to remember. I was telling those guys earlier that when I rode in today to come here, I was uh, driving by Amici's down here. And when I drove by, I thought, do you remember when Amici's opened? It was like kind of like, I don't know, it seemed like it was supposed to be more high class, kind of like fancy. And I thought, I, I'll be honest, I've never ate there. So I don't even know what it's like inside or outside, but I just looked on the outside today. And I thought, here's this beautifully painted sign and all the uh, lights around it. And I thought it was really interesting because when I drove by, there's like half the lights are out. It's looking a little bit more beat up. It doesn't look as nice as it did at the beginning, you know, on the outside. And I thought, isn't that how we are with our faith? A lot of times we don't realize that we're kind of like, you know, the light's going out a little bit. You know, maybe the carpet's a little worn, you know, inside of us. and Looking a little bit more shabby inside. Not necessarily what we were supposed to be. And you know what? A lot of times, because we're comfortable, like in our own houses, we don't see all those flaws. Somebody else walks in, they'll be like, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. This looks bad, that needs to be changed. This needs to go, this, you know? But we kind of get comfortable. We don't notice the flaws. We don't notice those things about ourselves that are kind of like starting to get a little worn, starting to kind of get a little lackluster, might need a little paint job, you know? So sometimes that we have to ask ourselves, could it be me? Could, am, I, am I starting to, like, lose it? Am I not what I really am supposed to be? You have to ask yourself, how many other things are priority in your life besides Jesus? He says he's a jealous God. He says he wants to be number one. But the problem is what happens is you start to believe and I've seen it so many times over and over again. People start to believe and they say, I need you to pray for me. I need a job. I need a job. My job is just, it's not working. I need you to pray and God give me a job and God gives them a job. And before long, they can't come to church. They can't serve God. They can't do this for God. They can't do that for God because their job is important. How many people have asked for a spouse or the opposite sex? I, man, if you just give me this person, Lord... Things would be so great. And then before long, that person moves into first place. And they start to, like, fall back. Jesus falls back. He's second, third, fourth, fifth place. What happens is these things that were given to us as gifts by the Creator become number one over Him. We can so easily forget that it was a gift from God, and every day we should just say, thank you, God, that I have these things. But we don't. We let them go to number one. You could have just gotten a little bit of lackadaisical faith happening in your life, you know, content to just let things happen as they happen. I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants in this whole Jesus thing. You know, we'll just see what happens, how it all pans out. I'm going to tell you, if you don't do anything deliberate, you're going to fail. You will fail if you don't be deliberate about your faith. You have to move forward and you have to put effort and time into your faith. It's important. It really is. You have to take, take this good, hard look at yourself. 
Examine yourself. See who you are, especially before we do this. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. See, do you feel him? Do you see that he's real? I'm not saying yeah. Maybe he didn't speak to you vocally this week. But do you sense that he's in your life? Do you feel like he's there for you? It says, how do you test yourself? It says in James 1, through 25, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, the thing is, he says, look perfectly into Jesus, because he's the perfect mirror. See, the world will give you a distorted view. If you look at what the world says, I can compare myself to the world. Man, I can look good. Like, I look great. My life looks like my kids got this, and I'm doing this, and I look like everything's together. But you know what? When you look at Jesus, you realize there's still a lot of flaws there. I'm a work in progress until the day I die. The only time I'm going to be perfect is when I get up to heaven with him. And that's only going to be because he's going to perfect me the rest of the way. You know, that's how it works. God is so good and so patient and so kind. So the thing is, the Bible actually tells you you're going to know that Jesus is among you when you change. When you start to change, that's when you're going to know. When you start to see that God is speaking to you, doing things, you notice it, that's when he says, I'm among you. You know, a change, man. A change will do you good. There's a song in there, isn't there? You know, sometimes we need that. A change will do us good. We need to change. It's easy to stay the same way you always were. You know, to, t- to change takes effort. It takes some real push and work to change. It's so easy to stay back and just keep going with the flow. But, you know, anything that goes with the flow, usually they're dead. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, right? Only a fish can swim upstream as if they're alive. What happens when a fish dies? Go with the flow. See, going with the flow ain't going to work. It doesn't work. You know, when Jesus told the disciples that someone was going to betray him, and they began to ask, could it be me? Am I the one, Lord? They were taking this look into their hearts. Could it be me? Could it be me? Question themselves if they could be the ones who could betray him. And I think, like I say, you got different experiences, surprise, anger, sadness, almost like disbelief, you know, that this could happen. But it did. Really, who betrayed Jesus at that last moment? All of them. Didn't they all? I mean, when you think about it, Judas did ultimately sell you know, and, and get the, the pieces of silver for, for turning Jesus over. But didn't they all turn their backs on him, really? They all betrayed him. It says, Matthew 26, 31, it says, On the way Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. See, the thing is, when tough times come, it is easy to give up. It's easy to just throw in the towel and just say, No, uh-uh. You know, when someone comes up to you and says, Yeah, you know, do you believe? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like struggling. Do you tell them, you know, I have faith in Jesus. He's real. 
He's really can change your life. Or do you just be silent? Nothing. See, the thing is, we have the answers. We have the answers to the world's problems. You know, depression. That's one of the reasons why I needed salvation. I had given up. Given up. This can't be it. There's nothing more out there, God. And then when he's like, I'm going to take that away. And get you, you get to be forgiven. And I was like, wow. I don't have to be struggling anymore. I don't have to be thinking I'm just, I can't go on another day. Because I have Jesus. We need to be reminded how quickly we turn our backs on Jesus. We need to think about it. You know your faith. You know your walk. I know where I fail. I know how easily my eyes can get off of him. I can tell myself I don't want a new car. I can tell myself I don't want fancy house. But you know what? When I see somebody with a nicer, newer car and a nicer, newer house, part of me is like, <sighs> you know, because you want better. You just want what this world offers so much. It's so hard to be content and not always think you need or deserve better, you know? How many times I'm faced with a situation where something happens and my first, first thought is like to go back to this person who I was before. I was like, Every other word, F, F, blow up, scream, yell, out of control. And I do. That's what I say. So not perfect. Just called to preach. Not not perfect. Believe me. I need Jesus' forgiveness every day. My poor husband. But, you know, today I really want us to just finish. If you, Emma, you want to come up. Um, we're actually going to finish in a little different way today. And what I want us to do is because we have such a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what he says it is. You know, the thing is, it's not a blanket thing. Just because one person's here, everyone's saved. That's not how it works. It's a personal salvation experience. Each one of you hopefully has had it. If you haven't, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and if you want it, will you look at me, raise your hand. Does anybody out there need Jesus? Most of the people here, oh, Grandma, I know she's got Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But I'm going to pray with you real quick, just to, to repeat the prayer. In case you're not where you need to be with Jesus, I don't want you to come up and eat this and get sick and unhealthy or die. <laughs> the Bible says it can happen, right? Who am I to say it's not going to happen? It can happen. So let me just pray. Uh, You can just repeat with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. We love you, Lord. We ask that you come into our heart and be real in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you just to take a moment. Emma's actually going to pray or play for a while. And what I want you to do is I want you to come forward and take communion when you feel like you've really looked into your heart. You know, when you've looked into yourself and examined yourself a bit, could it be me, Lord? Could I be betraying you? And if it is, just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. You know, that's how God is so good to, be, to just forgive 
So I think if you would just take a moment, remember your experience. If you were saved, remember. If it was right now, praise him for it. And also examine. Am I doing wrong by you, God? And if you are, say forgive me. And then when you feel it's right, you feel it's time, we'll come forward and and just basically just take a piece of the bread, dip it in the the wine, and, and then you can go sit down and maybe just reflect and thank God for it his, his uh, willingness to die on the cross for you. Thank you for being here.